Well, welcome you guys to Catastrophe 8, The Flood. Uh, we'll do a review. Uh, I think I think maybe I'll do the review tonight because I think I need practice. I kind of checked out for a little while, but um, does somebody want to open us in prayer? Uh, Brett, would you open us in prayer? All right, so where are we at here? Tonight, we're going to be covering this picture here. So um, what we have at the beginning here, we have a picture of a prophet, which is representative of uh, God wrote his word through men of God, prophets. God was there in the beginning uh, because God is eternal. We have this, e- e- uh, this timeline here, but on the far end, we have uh, the triune God signifying eternity past. And because God is eternal, Uh, We know that as he inspired people to write his word, that his word is reliable. So we can always come back to the Bible as our sole source of authority. Um, And then God, he's a God of purpose and order. When he created the earth, all of creation speaks so much of his attributes, his order, his power, his unlimited nature. Uh, You know, he, he separated the waters before he put fish in the water and birds in the air, for example. And so our God is a God of order. He's a God of purpose because he set the scene, he got the auction and the plants and everything set before he brought in his uh, main players, so to speak, his image bearers, first Adam and then Eve. And he gave them dominion over um, the Garden of Eden that he prepared for them. And the Garden of Eden was this lavish place. It was not stingy. We do not have a stingy God. There was colors and multitude of smells and fruits and vegetables and everything they could eat that they would want to. Um, and they were told to rule over it, to care for the garden. Um, they were made in his image uh, with a, a mind to know him, a heart to love him, and a will to choose him. He, Adam um, didn't know he needed a helpmate, but there was no suitable helper found in the garden. And that's just another, as God provided Eve for him, that's just a sign of God's goodness and God's graciousness. He just provided something for Adam, and he couldn't have spelt it out for him. And I'm sure when he saw Eve, he was like, oh man, right? Of course. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And so there was one tree though. Oh, no, I'm getting ahead of myself. There was more than one tree. But yeah, it was just a, a lavish garden. God also created uh, the, the angels and God being holy and perfect, all he does, he makes, it's perfect. So all the way to this point, everything is perfect. The angels, the earth, creation, Adam and Eve, no sin, Um, No corruption, no evil. But there was, of the thousands and thousands, 10,000 upon 10,000 of angels that were made, uh, God spoke them into existence. He didn't um, need to consult anybody. He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. And when he made all those angels, he did not tire. God didn't step back and be like, whew, I need to gain some energy here. I'm tired. No, he made all those angels for his glory to do his bidding, to worship him. And, uh, but there was one angel... um, who was called Lucifer, and he was well-decorated. But he rose up in pride, thinking that he didn't need God and that he could actually overthrow God. And, and his pride led him to his total destruction. So God, again, being holy, would not tolerate um, competition for his glory or his honor. And so immediately, no, no second chances with this guy. God cast him down uh, to earth, actually, in disgrace, it says. 
and prepared a place for him and his followers, which is called the Lake of Fire, an eternal place of torment. But he's not yet there. Satan decided to target what was closest to God, since he couldn't win against God. Nobody can come up against God and win. God is just unlimited in every department. And so the next best thing that Satan thought he could do, or his name changed to Satan, which means adversary, because he's now God's enemy. He came into the garden, into a snake, to tempt Adam and Eve to eat of this one tree that he was told, they were told not to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So again, when you think of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God isn't stingy. He didn't say like, here's this one glorious tree, and you know, and then you got a couple prickly pear cactuses you can eat from over here. It's like God had a lavish garden. He provided abundantly for them, but there was this test. Satan came and tested them, and they failed that test. Eve was deceived, and Adam sided with his wife, and they ate and disobeyed God. So they felt shame and guilt entered in. That perfect harmony and relationship they had with God was immediately broken. And so then we had that, we, we drew out the, the picture of um, a Christmas tree, how they, a Christmas tree, when it's cut off from its source, the spruce tree is cut off from its source. It has signs of still being physically alive, but it's spiritually dying. A tree doesn't have a spirit. But Adam and Eve were cut off from the source of God at this point when they disobeyed in their heart. And... Um, so they were now physically dying. They weren't meant to die physically. That's not how God designed it. And um, spiritually, they were dead. And so they tried to come up with something they thought would cover their guilt. Anything that originates within man in the sense of trying to cover your guilt, cover your sin, it's going to fall short, utterly short. And so God approached them, asked them what, what happened. They did the blame game. Um, in the end, God covered them with uh, an, a, an animal that God had provided and covered them with skins. And this was, a, this was a covering that was acceptable. God rejected this covering. It was an idea within themselves. God rejected the covering of fig leaves and accepted the covering that he provided. We moved on to Cain and Abel. <clears throat> oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. Um, feel free to interject if you see me missing anything crucial. Um, I'm not a know-it-all. <laughs> so they were, they were banished from the Garden of Eden. Uh, sin had entered the world. It was now part of their DNA. The tempter had gone from external to internal. And now here is their first uh, offspring, Cain and Abel. And uh, Abel came God's way, which was by faith, and Cain did not. God continued to pursue them in relationship, but Cain would not humble himself and continued in rebellion against God. So uh, Cain was rejected by God and Abel was accepted. And uh, Cain was, continued to harden his heart in pride and kept thinking, I'm going to overthrow the one who made me. I have the final say over my life. And he thinks that he's, he's fine how he is. So he goes out and kills his brother. And just imagine Adam and Eve seeing the full effects of sin start to take place. They, their choice brought this about. And then that brings us up to where we are here. So last lesson, you guys talked about uh, the finishing of Cain and then Enoch and Noah that God pursues sinful mankind. It's amazing. Up here, uh, Lucifer didn't get second chance. Here, with Cain, uh, Adam and Eve, with Cain, and then we're going to hear tonight, and with Enoch and Noah, God pursued sinful mankind. Why did he pursue sinful mankind? Did he have to? Was it in his mandate or his uh, bylaws? <laughs> no, he's a gracious God. He's a loving God. We're, we are dear to him, even though we've sided with the enemy in our sin nature. 
we're still his image bearers. They're still his image bearers. And it's amazing. We can be so thankful that we have a good, good God who pursues relationships still. He has no obligation to, but out of his goodness, he does. Um, So then, yeah, that brings us up to tonight. So here we are. We're going to go into the flood. I don't know if anybody saw the Facebook post. I thought it'd be kind of clever. I said, uh, you know, come out tonight if you think you know the story of the flood from your childhood fairy tales, because tonight we'll go a little deeper. <laughs> you know, oftentimes with, it's, it's a cutesy little um, fairy tale, not fairy tale, but it's, it's almost portrayed as such in children's books or children's blankets or children's wallpaper of, you know, this animals on the boat, two by two, coming along, and, and it's so cute, and Noah and his wife, and they're sitting on a boat with big smiles, and and all is well. Yeah, we, don't, we don't know about all those other generations, but seven generations after creation, it says that all of mankind had evil in their hearts, and God was grieved at their sin against him. Sin is first and foremost against God. You guys remember that little stick figure? Did you use that last week? We, we talked about it. <clears throat> talked about it. Yeah, so when, when there's sin, you're sinning against God first and foremost. It's a strike against him. It's an offense against him. And so God was grieved. At, at humanity. He looked at what he saw and uh, he decided to send a flood to destroy them all. And it was only Noah who had humbled himself before God. So God told him to build a boat, an ark, and that was going to be the escape for the coming judgment. And so tonight we're going to get into, there's multiple layers of, of judgment here and of rescue. Um, just as with that Christmas tree, we were talking about a physical death and there was a spiritual death. So too with this rescue, there's a physical rescue and there's a spiritual rescue that's, gonna, that's being presented here. So the ark, it had how many doors? Do you guys remember from the fairy tales? <laughs> Not the fairy tales, from the story. One door. And so just as there's one way to be accepted by God, we learn that, that we can only be saved coming God's way and God's way is by faith. Right. And so God's mercy lasted for about 120 years as Noah was building this ark. Sadly, it was only Noah and his family that chose to enter. God's, um, God's rescue, even though it was open to everybody, you didn't have to have a, a, you know, the VIP pass or anything to get in. It was open. Noah was called a preacher of righteousness, um, and everyone else was shut out from God as they chose to not enter in. They died physically, but that also was leading to their eternal death. And, um, but yet God did provide for those who entered into the boat in a caring way. Safety, he granted them safety through the flood. And so we're going to unpack that. That's the story. I just kind of wanted to give it to you guys in a, in a little flash there. <clears throat> so this is the picture here that we have. The ark is floating already. We'll kind of have a series, kind of a progressive series leading up to this that I'll show on the PowerPoint tonight. But you, see, you can see that the, the travesty that's happening here. Uh, people receiving... Um, their due, their due judgment, their punishment, sadly. Um, the ark is floating here, and we'll dive into some more details of that. So I actually read the story from this little flip book that you guys have. Again, just these are really awesome resources just to continue to look at and even practice as an evangelistic tool or whatever. Um, so here we go. Oh, I did the review already. Oh, yeah, I always like this one. <clears throat> just to review, because I like it so much. This is, this is for our newcomers here. This is uh, God's sword as Satan tried to, you know, he throws up his fist in protest against God as he was uh, banished to earth. This is earth here, and this is a little cutaway. And sometimes we think that like Satan and God is like an eye for an eye, a pretty equal match. 
But it's like in reality, it's maybe a little closer to this. This is the tip of the God's sword against Satan's sword. And, uh, and that's a picture of Satan being banished to earth. So sometimes we can kind of get a wrong view that, you know, the, yeah, this battle between God and Satan is a real battle. But just remember how much uh, God has, has already conquered and being the one who made all things, including Satan. Was Satan created perfect in the beginning? Pardon? Yeah, he had to be. And why is that? Because God made him. him. Yeah. And what about God means that he would make him perfect? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's holy, perfect. Everything he does. So these are the foundational truths that we've been learning. Um, God is creator. God is all-powerful, owner, holy, provider, ultimate provider. We know that there is counterfeits, but God is the ultimate provider. God is all-seeing, all-knowing. He's the ultimate ruler because he's the owner of all. He made all things. Uh, God must justly punish sin. He can't let it just you know, sweep under the rug. That would be against his character. He's purposeful. Um, he desires relationship with people. He's loving. Oftentimes, people like to blow this one up and make it kind of just the only thing that overlaps at all. God is, is greatly loving, but he's all these things in perfect tension at the same time. He's merciful, which means what? Yeah, it doesn't give us what we deserve in, in light of kind of a punishment. And God is gracious. What is that? Yeah, taking mercy another step, giving us what we don't deserve, something that's great, even though we don't deserve it. And then we're gonna, we continue just to unpack that God promises a deliverer, a savior, right from uh, early in Genesis chapter 3 there with Adam and Eve. <clears throat> We've been talking about uh, humility, faith, and repentance are necessary for a restored relationship with God. And these are all the things we've been learning about man, humanity, made by God, in God's image, for a relationship with him, uh, ability to make choices. Um, we got this default kind of autopilot to choose pride, rebellion, greed because of our sin nature. And, and yeah, ruled by that sin nature, separated from God with a sin debt that we all carry. Questions? I like to do like a super, where's my notes? <laughs> Here we go. Where am I? So tonight, our main hook is uh, God rescues and God judges. Here's the progression, progression of uh, pictures. Uh, here's Noah in his nice green garb. The animals coming to the boat, getting on the boat. Uh, the door closing, the flood. Uh, the boat floating along and then stuck on a mountain here and then exiting with a rainbow at the end. So that's kind of what we'll be progressing through tonight. So if you want to flip with me or look up here, if you have your Bibles with you. So we have, we'll be starting in Genesis 6. Six, um, yeah, five, six, eleven. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So the Lord was sorry he had ever made them and put them on earth. It broke his heart. And the Lord said, I'll wipe this human race I have created from the face of the earth. Yes, and I will destroy every living thing, all the people, the large animals, the small animals that scurry along the ground, and even the birds of the sky. 
I am sorry I ever made them. But Noah found favor with the Lord. I'll just read it as a chunk here to 11. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, the only blameless person living on earth at the time, and he walked in close fellowship with God. Noah was the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now God saw that the earth had become corrupt and was filled with violence. So he was grieved. He was grieved with, his, with, with mankind. He said that they were filled with violence, corruption. Um, 2 Peter 2.5, it also says that Noah found favor with God. Um, he was known to be a preacher of righteousness. So what is God's plan? Do we know it yet? Are we there yet? Let's read a little further. So God starts giving him instructions to build a boat. Build a large boat, it says in verse 14, from cypress wood and waterproof it with tar inside and out. Then construct decks and stalls throughout its interior. Make the boat 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 40 feet high, 45 feet high. Leave an 18-inch opening below the roof all the way around to the boat. Put the door on the side and build three decks inside the boat, lower, middle, and upper. <clears throat> Look, I am about to cover the earth with a flood that will destroy every living thing that breathes. Everything on earth will die. What is God's plan? What did we just read? Destroy the earth. Yeah, destroy the earth. Yeah, exactly. <coughs> Noah was found righteous, and God approached him to do this boat. He gave him exact specifications of the dimensions, of what it would be made with, how many decks. <coughs> it was a big boat. It would have taken a long time to build, roughly 100, 120 years. How did Noah respond? Do we see anything here? Pardon? Maybe I didn't read it yet. I was just like, look, I'm scanning ahead. I'm like, did I miss that yet? Sorry, verse 22 there. So Noah did everything exactly as God had commanded him. Exactly. When can we alter God's plan? Or his command, I should say. Never. That's right. To alter it a little bit is disobedience. <clears throat> Did God seek Noah's help here? Hey, Noah, like, what do you think? What kind of wood do you got in your area? What do you got to build this boat with, Noah? Did God seek Noah's help, his input? Yeah, yeah, God being the all-knowing one, God was laying it out for Noah. <clears throat> what would happen to Noah if he tried to add or change anything to God's plan, do you think? Think it would work out well for him? Put it this way. If Noah tried to do anything differently, what would that posture of his heart be communicating to God? I know better than you do. Yeah. Yeah. Would that be a bit of pride creeping in? Thinking he could, yeah, think higher than God? <clears throat> kind of with Adam and Eve back in the garden there. This, this was their thinking. We'll cover ourselves and it may work. Let's give it a shot. Did it work? Adam, even though God provided an adequate covering. So if Noah were to step out of sight of God's design for the ark, would it work? No. 
he, he would die in the flood because he'd be resting in his own, his own understanding, his own thinking, independent of his owner, his ruler, his boss, God. I think it's interesting, and I'm, obviously these pictures are an artistic rendition. Um, it shows a keel, but I think it's kind of an interesting thought to consider that it, it doesn't have a sail. The sail was, was put in boats for, for a sailor to decide the direction that a boat would head in, or it doesn't have a, a movable rudder. Uh, that would also steer the boat. I just kind of think that's fascinating. I mean, the, 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 the outline for the, for the design of the boat doesn't talk of a sail, doesn't talk of a movable rudder. Why do you think, just speculative, I'm not going to die on this hill, but why do you think that is? Yeah. <laughs> of course. But... When we think of, again, God's sovereignty, okay, we haven't read this yet, but I know a lot of you guys know where it came to park. Was Noah controlling where it would go? God was controlling it. Yeah, it was total, total let go. Like, God, this is your boat. You're the captain. You're putting it where it's going to go. Even, the whole earth, even though the whole earth was going to be covered, God was in control entirely. Noah needed to completely trust God to take the boat where he wanted it. Um... I'm, I'm really out of practice tonight because I'm like not tracking along here. Look at these pictures. Just enjoy them. <laughs> Look at that. Wow. So here we go. Flood's coming and there's a story and a rainbow. And... All right. Sorry. Um, 16, 17. Here we go. So we read that. Um, just as we go a little deeper here, did God declare his rescue plan for just Noah? Yes. Pardon? <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Just going off of verses 17 to 18. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, and you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So like, just going off of those, I would say yes, there's a specific covenant with Noah and his family only. Okay, yeah. And I mean, yeah, and God is totally sovereign. He knew that they would proceed in this way. Um, let's flip to 2 Peter 2.5. Second Peter two five. Can you read that, Kevin? Almost there. Almost there. Sorry. <clears throat> if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Okay. So, the part I want to highlight here is that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He warned people of God's coming judgment. For not. Was that just, was it just like a, a joke? No, I want you to preach a message that no one can respond to. Was that why you think God had Noah be a preacher of righteousness? Do you think he was actually preaching to the people or was his actions preaching to the people? 
I haven't done I haven't done a word study on the word preacher there. I'm just kind of taking it at face value. <laughs> Anybody else know on that? No. I mean, I'm sure you had to give an answer if you're building a boat in the middle of the desert. Yeah. You probably had to. You <laughs> probably had to. What you doing, Noah? Nothing. Yeah. Don't ask. Yeah. I mean. So just going with 2 Peter 2, 5 there, it says that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. So he was, he was warning, he was saying something of God. And I'm sure because people were asking, likely, why are you building a boat? He probably said, God told me to. There's a need for it. And so I don't, my, my suspicion is that he didn't, he wasn't a preacher of righteousness for naught. There was a reason that it presented people. I think that he was probably letting people know that this was a rescue plan or something here. This boat was, had a purpose. We have a God who's a pur- God of purpose. So here we have God providing a way of rescue, a physical rescue we're talking. How to be shielded from God's wrath. I mean, the flood here is a picture of God's wrath. You guys see that that way? You understand it that way? I mean, it's, it's a physical outpouring manifestation of God's judgment on the world. But in order for anybody to heed warning, so to speak, it wouldn't just be that they'd be physically stepping on the boat and physically be rescued. I mean, they would have to humbly by faith trust in in whatever Noah was saying, his message of righteousness, perhaps of God's deliverer, I would imagine, and then practically from that step on the boat. Any thoughts on that? Well, I know we're not to, to this point yet, but, um, you know, Jonah going and preaching of coming judgment, um, Nineveh did repent, and so did the judge. So, I guess, hypothetical, but... Um, Maybe overlaying a parallel there. Yeah, well, like, if, the, you know, preaching righteousness, I wonder whether there's some kind of Know. Carries that meaning of yeah that he's he, he's warning of impending judgment, and I guess if somebody heeded it, they would be like, please let us on the boat, and nobody did. Mm-hmm. Um, even if they weren't given like a specific command, hey, get on the boat. I think if I thought Jonah was telling the truth, I would say, come on, where's the spot? Yeah, yeah. If he he was telling the truth, you'd have to have faith. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which none of these people did. It's kind of, yeah. There's a place in, in the prophet, someplace where it says that God promises a judgment. And people repent, he will always, he will always not. He will, yeah. It's like, it's like a promise there. Mm. Like even when he says, I'm going to judge you, up until the last minute, there's always a chance to repent and avoid it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, I like that thought. <laughs> Maybe this was like a bit of a rabbit trail in my mind, but it's like, it's like you watch some of these movies that like, like Twister, you guys remember Twister? It's like, or the tornado movie? It's like the guy who knows what's coming, nobody has to like really get all the details from him, they just follow him, right? Like they like ran with this guy into the root cellar because he seemed like he knew what he was talking about. So I'm not gonna ask about like, how fast is this tornado gonna be? And like, will it lift me if I'm 200 pounds? Like, so maybe it was something like that. It's like Noah had no, some knowledge, God spoke to him. so. People could have trusted his like message. If people in waves repented, then maybe he doesn't send the flood at all. Mm-hmm. Right? But, um, yeah, interesting thoughts just to kind of dance around. 
Um, oh yeah, I'll get that. What uh, what attributes do you guys see? Do you guys see of God at play here with him having Noah be a preacher of righteousness? Oh, I hung up a new list. Well, a cleaner list. So you can cheat if you need to. Or th- just think. Um, what are, merciful. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, well, I haven't like drilled down, but it's like, this 120 years, I don't know if it was like a, there was a period and then a time where he began, but kind of 120 years. Yeah, it's not like, you know, next weekend if you guys don't clean up your act. Right. Yeah, so he gave them time. He was merciful in that. Merciful in that they were pre- he was a preacher of righteousness. Totally. Yeah. He guaranteed he wasn't getting help with it from the neighbors. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Maybe he paid a good wage, though, you know? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, yeah, he had sons. God is merciful and gracious here. I mean, he, we just continually see a good God who doesn't have to do anything and does so much for an undeserving, unrepentant people. Um, God doesn't take... Sorry, yeah. Well, I was going to keep rolling, so... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't believe that our God takes pleasure in the death of the wicked. It's not like he was saying, I'm going to save just these few, and I'm going to gain pleasure by the destruction of many. I, I believe God wanted more to hear of him. God was giving them more time, we were saying, you guys hit on, uh, to respond to his mercy and grace, his love and his truth. Um, as we've dived into this word, repentance, coupled with faith, um, I believe God was giving them time to leave, leave the life of sin and to walk believingly in, in, in what Noah was preaching. It further reveals that God is the one who pursues and initiates a restored relationship. Again, God was coming down in, in, in some communi- uh, communication way to, to talk to Noah, to tell him to do this. And um, it just shows us that God pursues, God initiates relationship between him and sinners. God reaches out. Um, what about what about the, the design of the boat? What does that speak of our, of our God? Chooses the way of escape. Yeah. One, one heart, one door. Yeah. He knew what he was doing. He was, he was wise, hey? He was purposeful. I mean, just think of, we'll unpack a bit of it as we go, but the symbolism, there's just so much wrapped up in, in the story of the flood, in the design of the boat, that one door, that one way, God's way. So he was purposeful. Um, I, we see signs of his ownership here. He didn't have to, again, consult with anybody if this was a good idea, should I do this? God owned the world. He, he owns all people, even though many people are in rebellion to him, living in rebellion to him, he still is the maker of them. And it, and it also shows that he is ultimate ruler and final authority, right? He had say if he, could, if he was going to flood the whole earth. And he, he had the, just the foresight, the wisdom, the purpose, the creativity in creating this one way of escape, this physical escape, which would also involve... Uh, humility and obedience, a posture of heart in the people as well. You guys just see how much is wrapped up right here? How awesome this is? 
I love diving into the story of Noah. There's so much happening here. It's a sad story, but there's also a, a story that shows a lot of goodness of who our God Almighty is. Um, so on the verse 16 here, as he talks of God's telling Noah, make a roof, you know, leave a space below the roof, put a door, one door, a door on the side of the ark. Um, there's one way, one ship, one door, get on the ark, you live, don't, you die. It was a pretty simple message coming here. Get on the ark, you live, you don't, you die. So how many ways of escaping the flood was God obligated to provide? Zero. zero. Big, fat, zero. Not even one. They deserved punishment. How does that sound to you? Pardon? Accurate? Yeah. Doesn't sound easy to me, but that's the truth. Brett? Well, you kind of said what I was <laughs> Did you want to say it differently? <laughs> no, I'm just teasing. <laughs> yeah, they, they deserve punishment. Every one of God's image bearers who is in rebellion to him, who's born with a sin nature, who sins, deserves God's punishment. Fully, totally. In order to enter into safety, what would a person's heart attitude have to be back here in, in uh, Noah's time here? Humility. Sorry? Humility. Humility? Yeah. Yeah. Faith. Faith, yeah. So, so repentant, repentant from and to, can you just expound on that a bit? God's direction, yeah. There's um, one of the guys I was hanging out with this last week. He, he and his wife and team planted a church in South America. And, and, uh, and that people group there, the way that they came to understand repentance is that they would say, like, I turned all my backside, everything that's behind me, towards the way I used to be. And I put all my front parts towards all of what God is. I thought that was a cool way to put it. And then you said faith. Faith in what? Faith in that the God of Noah really did have a way to save them from, from what was coming and that it was actually coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And that's the important, what, what, what God's coming deliver, covering, coming deliverance. Sometimes we can get stuck in this attitude of like, you, your faith wasn't big enough or, you know, you just didn't believe and so you weren't rescued. But... Here it's just a plain and simple faith in the coming deliverer, the message and and the promise. It says here, 
in Genesis 6.22 that God did everything just as, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Again, in 7.5 of Genesis, and Noah did all the Lord commanded him. And then in Hebrews 11.7, by faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world uh, and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with, the, with faith. This account gives us a very real and clear picture of a practical expression of coming by repentant faith. The need to depend completely. It says, again there in Hebrews, not yet seen. Noah, Noah didn't understand the whole picture yet of how that would exactly look, but he needed to depend completely on God's rescue on God's provision of rescue, his way alone. It wasn't like Noah had the ark and then, hey God, I'm going to also put like one of those little dinghies on the top in case this ark isn't going to work. You know, like how ferry, ferry boats have? Like Noah had to depend completely on that one boat that God was providing. No little dinghy, no tugboat, no sail, no rudder. He couldn't see or understand how it all worked out in the end, but by faith, Noah trusted in God's plan. He, oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 How long, God? How long am I going to be made a mockery of before you deliver on what you've said? Right? I mean, some of us get antsy when a prayer is not seemingly not answered after, you know, a month or two or three or ten years. Um, so here Noah was, was following in God's rescue plan. I wanted to ask you guys, I'm going to just put this contrast question up here. What ways do we try to rescue ourselves? <clears throat> or um, convince ourselves there's no need of rescuing. hugely sobering that, that's really good to do that Brett to like engage engage our minds with being there because you're right yeah that that's us standing there it's very sobering <laughs> so what are ways today let's bring this to our doing the same thing in our minds here bringing this to us today what what ways what are ways that we try and rescue rescue ourselves or convince ourselves that there's, there's no need to be rescued? What's the common either 
maybe you guys hold to some of this, or maybe just kind of in your circles around you, your, maybe your kids or parents or coworkers. Self-help. What would some of those self-helps be, do you think? I'm just shooting out there. <clears throat> How to what? I don't, I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm just what, getting inside your head a bit, Tony. <laughs> if that's not putting you on the spot too much, sorry. <laughs> yeah. Obedient children. 48 hours. Answers within yourself. Yeah. Individualism, eh? Yeah. 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 Exactly. That that whole spirit of individualism is. Sorry. How do you say it? Self-actualize. Believe in you. You, your team, or whatever's around you. Yeah. Yeah, only love. God's only love. I ran into an interesting one kind of tied to that this weekend where a person I met was riding 110% on God's graciousness. I don't need to do anything because I know that God is incredibly gracious. Same thing. God is so loving. <clears throat> they, they, you can't isolate him from his other attributes. <laughs> you know that a lot of people like, kind of go with the story of like, well, the situation just kind of like lined up and happened this way and you find yourself in something that doesn't want necessarily line up with the Bible. But they can convince themselves that, like, well, God wouldn't have put this into my life if it wasn't for a reason. And then so they use that train to, to stay with me in whatever they're doing. Hmm. Interesting. How, how would we summarize that? <laughs> blaming God? Blaming... Well, it's just kind of the idea of, like, well, I wouldn't be in this situation if it, if it weren't for God. So God obviously put me in this situation for a reason. And then even if the situation, like the act or whatever it is, is... It's like deferring responsibility. Uh, yeah, it's like, well, I've been put into this, so obviously this is where God wants yeah. me. And so they'll use that instead of turning to Scripture to say, well, yes, I am in this situation, but this is obviously not where God wants me. Yeah. It's kind of using God as the excuse, well, yeah. and saying, well, it's the woman you gave me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, just blaming, blaming circumstances or... Yeah. Yeah, you're not being responsible. For, not yeah, not owning it. Yeah. I would say, uh, like, rituals. 
sacraments, rosaries. Yeah. Yeah, rituals, traditions. <coughs> I just have one more. Uh, the I think in terms of convince yourself that you have no reason to universe, but I think the reason why everybody is filling their life with with so much busyness is because nobody wants to think about dying. Hmm. And the second you stop, you realize it's all meaningless. That you are you are you are, you are not a great person and you're going to die. Yeah. Uh, I always speculate that's why there's a lot of deathbed uh, conversions. Because <laughs> that, that's when it's all stripped away, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Busyness. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And of course we're coming at this from like a Christian worldview. I mean, a lot of people would just say like, I don't believe I'm a sinner. I don't believe I need forgiving. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm gen- yeah, I've done the, yeah, the proverbial help. The right, yeah. Right on. We'll come back to that. Um, as we wrap up this, this first kind of section, we just want to remember that there's just, there's just one way of escape for all peoples, regardless of culture, regardless of language, regardless of when you've lived. If you, you know, some people think, oh, I've lived 50 years too early, too late, whatever. No regardless of culture, regardless of your language, where you're born in this world, what category, what your first child, second child, I don't care. There's one way of escape for all people. all people. All people are sinners against God because we go back to one set of ancestors, Adam and Eve, who, inherit, who, who brought in sin nature through their disobedience to God, and we see it again and again. There's a wrestle. We've inherited that same, that same sin debt, sinners against God. We need God's rescue plan, and we are helpless unto our own. If we're going to be thinking of our own creative ideas as to how to rescue ourselves, it's going to look like this. It's going to look like this, hanging on to a floating log. It's going to lead us to nowhere. God is the ultimate owner, boss, ruler. Uh, we come his way or not at all. Cain brought fruits of the ground. When God said, if you, do not, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Beware, sin is crouching at your door, desires to have you. If we come his way, which is by faith in the deliverer, in the rescuer, that's the only way to be rescued. Get on the ark, you live. You don't, you die. Today, God tells us, I believe, repent and believe, you live. You don't you die. I think we've looked at this a couple times already, faith and repentance. Believing the truth that God is holy and that we are not holy. We are sinners. It's admitting that our sin is against God. First and foremost, yes, we we hurt people in our sin, but first and foremost, it's against God, his image bearers. It's admitting that we're separated from our source of life. There's no reattaching ourselves to the root base. We can't do anything. We are self-helpless. We need God to do it all. It's admitting that we are helplessly doomed to die physically and spiritually without God's help. It's rejecting our way, relying on all of these things, answers within yourself, help, self-help, our own prideful thinking, and choosing God's way. It's believing and having faith that God's way alone, the deliverer, 
is the one who can rescue us from our sin debt that is unpayable to the full on our behalf otherwise. All right, 20 more pages. <laughs> so God deals with all sin. That's part of his holiness. That's part of who he is. Let's read this together. Genesis chapter 6, verse 7. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. Why can God do this? Because he owns them. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I always wonder about that. When the ark was finished, God brought some of every kind of animal to enter it. And let's read what, what continues here. <clears throat> In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. And rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. We already talked about this. Did, did Noah shut the door to the ark? No, God did. It's important. Where did we have that there? I want to pull the verse up. Can someone tell me where that's at? 716. I want to just see that. It's not my authority that you guys go by. It's authority of the word. 716? Yeah. Where? End of 16? 716? There we go. Thank you. Then the Lord closed the door behind them. So, so God did it. Why do you guys think it was important, both for Noah then and even for us looking back, that God shut the door, to have that noted and that God actually did it. Why is it important that God shut the door? God decided when it was going to take place, his judgment. Yeah, totally. God sealed it, yeah. And even when asking to build a boat, he could have just as righteously chosen not to seal the door and let the whole thing be flooded as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're seeing God is utterly in control here, right? I mean, and if God shut it, as he, as he said there, Dave, um, is there not a great security in that? Like, imagine if I shut it, like, oh, dang, I hope that was enough tar and nails and I don't know if it's going to hold, man, what kind of waves are going to be ensuing here? But I mean, if God shut it, God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth and everything in them, if he shut it, how secure would you feel if you were Noah? Yeah, I mean, it's just so much cool stuff there. Judgment can only come from God, like Brett was saying, his timing, totally secure because he's the one that battened down the hatches, so to speak. Um, that God alone has the power and the authority to do all of this. And that God also chose um, the one way of rescue. And, um, and it reveals 
that those who died outside of the ark chose to reject God's one way of rescue and essentially chose to be shut out. I mean, it, it had been open to all. I don't hear anything about bouncers, you know, at the gates or, like I said, VIP passes, backstage ark passes or anything like that. It had been open to all. The preacher of righteousness was proclaiming a message of repentance and faith, I believe. So judgment was about to be delivered with a flood that would wipe out all of humanity and all the animals on the earth. Uh, let's keep going here. Genesis 7, uh, 11 and 12. When Noah was 600 years old on the 17th day, on the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth. The rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. Um, what do you think that would have looked like? How does that, what does that imagine in your minds? God gave us our imagination, so we can use them. Pardon? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. Just the atmosphere just opening up a delu- deluge. Just this huge... But it hadn't rained yet, had it? Right. I think at that point, the earth was all watered from springs, mists, all that kind of a thing, heavy dew. Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm sure we've all been in a rain that was a little bit scary, you know, because there's usually, usually thunder in it, lightning in it. Imagine that times whatever, in infinity, in a sense. But if you're on a boat, I don't know if you guys have been on a boat in the middle of the ocean in a storm or in higher waves. There's a lot of tossing and turning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, here we have this picture of, you know, just the, the skies opening up and the waves crashing together. No shore in sight. Not that they could see out anyways, but... Um, somebody want to read 17 to 21, chapter 7 there? So there you have it. What was the extent of the flood? Was it just like one area or just like the belt of the earth or something like that? Worldwide. Worldwide. Yeah. I mean, it's talking like the last mountains here being covered like what my, you, you had cubits or something like that, but I think mine said uh, 20, 22 feet above the highest peaks. So 22 feet above, if Everest was there, 22 feet above Mount Everest even. Imagine the destruction. How horrible would it have been to be on the outside at this point? And this was just a foretaste of what was to come. What's the two layers at play here? The two deaths that are ensuing for every individual. Do you mean physical and spiritual? That's right, yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes we can get, hang- get hung up on the... the 
shock and horror of the physical death. Nobody wants to drown. But they, right there, they were now teetering on the worst death, an eternity of torment in the lake of fire. Put yourself in Noah's place as the door closed on his parents, on his siblings, on his friends. The rain fell, the fountains burst forth, the heavens opened up, the atmosphere just dropped, so to speak. And maybe, I don't know, maybe just maybe there was people like pounding at the door there, right? Let us in, Noah, let us in. Now we're sorry. Could, they, could the door be reopened? Was, there, was 120 years not long enough? Was Noah able to open the door? Because God shut it. They, they chose, these people on the outside chose to reject God's rescue. The one rescue, the one way that God didn't even have to provide, they rejected even that way. So God shut them out of his safety to receive the just punishment for their sin against him. The only hope for safety I have here is to get on the ark. You get on the ark, you live, you don't, you die. These are the ones who chose not to. I mean, you see here a lady, toddler, older gentleman. We see somebody here kind of clinging to these rocks, sort of the last rocks being covered here, their arms raised to the ark, arms raised to the heavens. Again, artistic rendition, but I can't see why that wouldn't have been the reality. Was Noah the only one who could get on the ark? We keep saying this, no. It was open to all. Noah, though, put his faith in God, surrendered his way for God's way, and this was, this was believing in the, in the deliverer, believing in the message of that there would be a worldwide destruction. But now that Noah was on the inside with his family, just think of the level of security he had. He was... In, in, in essence, in the palm of God's hand. God accepted him because of his humility. I mean, everything, his whole life was, was leaning on all of these points we have here, that he exists for God alone. You know, he didn't say, God, yeah, I'll get on that ark on the weekends, on Saturday. I'll do that. I'll build that ark then when I'm off work. No, he was, he was existing for God alone, and, and his actions demonstrated that. God taught him and told him everything of how to build the ark, of when to get on it, how to get on it, what was going to happen. And that was just revealing that he was in total submission to God being his owner, his ruler, his boss, his Lord. Um, so we talked about God's characteristics during uh, Noah, by Noah being a preacher of righteousness, of providing a boat. What do you guys see of God's different characteristics here in the punishing and in the rescuing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, his holiness in punishing sinners for what they deserved and their sin against him, his holiness for how he poured out his wrath, that he wouldn't stand um, this rejection of him and rebellion any longer. And in the rescuing, what do you guys see in the rescuing? More mercy, love, yeah. Yeah. Totally. Great deliverer. A great deliverer. That's right. 
his love and respect for allowing individual choice of man and caring for Noah so well through it all, his power in unleashing this flood and yet protecting Noah in the midst of it. And, and we've already touched on his ownership and his right to set the time and the method and the punishment for his creation. Anything else that you guys see there of his character? His wisdom, yeah. <clears throat> Sin must be dealt with since it rejects God and his word. If you think about it for us today, um, we're sinners, just like the people of Noah's day. And his judgment will come for people today, too. For us today, too. There are just two options for us. Judgment or rescue. Just like our hook. To be rescued by God or to be judged by God. That's the choices, the two choices. There's no middle ground. There's no, yeah, I haven't decided yet. I'm going to make that choice one day, but I kind of want to like live out my wild side first. Just like with the ark, people didn't know the day that, that it was going to come, that, that the flood was going to come. The, the day for repentance and faith in the deliverer is today, not tomorrow. It's today. And there's hope, though, for those who humble themselves about their sin, about their life, about their way, about their pride, and put their faith in God's provision, in God's provision alone, right? How do people today ignore these warning signs, though? We have the God's word. We know it's authoritative. We know there's warnings in it. But people pretend there's no sin. There's nothing to acknowledge. There's nothing to be forgiven of. How do people do this? How do people ignore the warning signs of today? Yeah. Right. Yeah, ultimately, right? Whatever Satan can do to lull people into a sleep. Satan, yeah. What'd you say? Satan? Yeah. Blinds, yeah. <coughs> Yeah. Yeah, total denial. For sure. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll fix the problem. Totally, environmentalists and all that. Yeah. I mean, some people treat God's word, yeah, it's a fairy tale. Some people who think they believe in the Bible, they'll take part of it, but not all of it, as truth. They'll kind of create their own religion. Um, some people would say, oh, you, you know, if there are warnings and you Christians are providing me the warnings, you guys are just the fire, hell, brimstone type fundamentalists. You don't really care about me. You're just kind of too cultish. You're too serious. I believe that, but just not to the extent you believe it. 
Um, I think, um, you know, living in a culture where people assess things based on how they make them feel, um, you know, you could, you could look at a picture like that and the way that it makes you feel prevent you from accepting it because you just you reject it, right? Your feelings don't like it. It doesn't feel good to feel, to think about you know, that. Yeah, and block so, it out. And so, you know, that would be just couldn't be true. Yeah. We also think God couldn't be good if God exists. He couldn't be good if he did that. Yeah, totally. I mean, this is, this is another plug for foundational Bible teaching and learning. Step into this story, I wouldn't want to follow him either if I didn't know all of this. That he is good, that he is loving, that he is merciful, that he is gracious, that he is a God of thousand chances and more. That he pursues me. Yeah, you're right. People just, what kind of God would do that? People do the same thing with the story of uh, Abraham and Isaac find. They step right in there and they say, who is this God? There's a word nobody uses anymore. And you know, when I think of this stuff, it always comes to mind is the word forbearance. Mm. That's a little different than what people say when God's love. Because forbearance is not punishing when, or, or, or yet. Yeah. Exactly. And um, he, his forbearance is great, waiting a hundred years or whatever. I believe that's exactly what, what's going on here with these straw covers. It was God's forbearance. Because, I mean, we know the rest of the story. Was there sin forgiven here? Was it washed away? Was it dealt with here? But what did God's forbearance do? It still was paid for on one person. Yeah, God just, he simply was in, how do you say it, he for, forbeared? For, yeah. Delayed. He held back. He waited. Yeah. Yeah, we have a patient God. Who gives all opportunity for repentance. That's right. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. So Romans 323? 325. 325. Thank you. I was like, oh, I didn't know that was in 323. That's awesome. <laughs> um, 325 of Romans. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. It's not a common word, but that's exactly what, what we're seeing here. As people continued to put their faith forward in the coming deliverer, it was, their faith wasn't complete, so to speak, at this point in time. But their faith was God's provision for that time. Or like, yeah, passing over, that's the one about passing over for the former sins. Yeah. Yeah. Mine yeah. uses the word restraint. Yeah. So that's yeah. 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 yeah, there's a withholding. Yeah. God is patient. And So into our third point tonight, God is, God is faithful and trustworthy, and we'll see how the, the story of Noah and, and the ark shows this. Um, Genesis 7, uh, 23. 
Who's not read before that wants to read one verse? <laughs> Maybe everyone has read. In which case, oh, actually, no. Everybody hasn't read. I know at least two people who haven't. <laughs> 7.23 of Genesis. Oh, hang on a second. Why am I right there? Yes, yes. We're redoing that one. Go ahead. So all the life that wasn't on the ark, dead, wiped out, it says. Wiped out from the face of the earth. Physically, and then for those who had a soul and a spirit, which were God's image bearers, the people, they'd be judged and punished eternally. In uh, Genesis 8, 1-4, it says, But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock with him in the boat. In the boat. God, he, sent a wind to blow across the earth and the floodwaters began to recede. The underground water stopped flowing and the torrential rains from the sky were stopped. There was an action there, hey, were stopped. So the floodwaters gradually receded from the earth after 150 days, exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. Noah and his family were in the ark for an entire year. Did, did any of them die? No? God remembered them, it says, and looked after them. Not just Noah, but the animals, the livestock. Sorry, it told us a full year? What's that? Year. When you tally it up, it was a year, because then the floodwaters covered the earth for those days. If you read the full story, he I'm sends out a... For yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and then he, there's a period of waiting when he sent out the birds and they came back and then if you tallied up, yeah, it's like a year. So God caused the wind to blow. God stopped the water. God caused the, mount, the, the, the boat to rest on the mountain of Ararat. Absolutely everything is at God's disposal. He moves the heavens and the earth to accomplish his purposes. This is the God we have today. God's plans prevail. There's nothing that comes against God and wins. All that wicked humanity cannot win against God. And it's right that God did all of that because he's the owner. He is just. You can study Psalm 147, verse 18, and Psalm 148, if you wish, as well, which just talks of him controlling the wind and blowing it and melting the, the snow and the ice. Like This is the God we have. We have the God who's not only the God of the rain, we have the God who's the God of the minus 40. We have the God who's the God of the glaciers and the oceans and the seas. Let's keep reading more to see of God in action. Um, prior to the flood, God made a promise to Noah in Genesis 6, 8, and 18. I know we're kind of bouncing around a lot, but in 6, 8, it says that Noah found favor with the Lord. And then 18 God will confirm his covenant with you, Noah. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your son's wives. So God was telling Noah again here, get on the ark, you live. What had God declared to those who refused to enter the ark? Was it not his judgment? 
How far did, did God deviate from what he had said, what he laid out? Any? Yeah, not one bit. He, he is absolute and faithful. We can see from these stories, you know, as people today try and push against the truth of the word, we just, want, if you can establish the reliability and trustworthiness of the word with people, and you walk through these stories, you can say, well, he talked of it, and it happened. He warned of it, and it happened again and again. Um, go to, uh, do I have it here, actually? Genesis 8. Um, We'll do 17 through to 21. So the, mount, the, mount, the people have been judged. The earth has been wiped clean. Noah is now parked on Ararat at 15. There it says, God said to Noah, leave the boat, all of you and your wife, your sons and their wives. Release all the animals, the birds, the livestock, the small animals that scurry on the ground so they can be fruitful and multiply throughout the earth. So Noah and his wife, his sons, and their wives left the boat and all of the large and small animals and birds that came out of the boat, pair by pair. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and there he sacrificed as burnt offerings the animals and birds that had been approved for that purpose. And the Lord was pleased with the aroma of the sacrifice and said to himself, I will never again curse the ground because of the human race, even though everything they think or imagine is bent towards evil from childhood. I will never again destroy all living things. As long as the earth remains, there will be planting and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. So here we have Noah offering a sacrifice. What, what was this evidence of in his heart? Worship. Worship, yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot of acknowledgement happening there, wasn't there? Of thankfulness, of praise of humility. He followed God's instructions. We didn't read this, but earlier on there was instructions of bringing a few extra of a certain type of animal that would be appropriate for, for uh, a sacrifice offering at the end. That's right, yeah. Trusting in God providing, yeah. And I think his actions were just kind of, in a sense, putting the end, an end parentheses on quite an event that, that he was saying, I'm coming to you, God, by faith. I still don't see it all. I'm trusting in your provision. I'm trusting in your answers. Everything you are. And what, what was God's response to Noah's sacrifice? Has the Lord smelled? What? Pleasing. Yeah, pleasing aroma. So he w- Noah was walking very like, uh, obediently, uh, worshipfully, and God called the aroma pleasing. He was accepting it. And just the same as with Abel back here. Abel was counted righteous, him and his offering. Noah, righteous. His offering was pleasing to the Lord. God said never again would he destroy the earth with a flood. 
As a result of this, was, was Noah's sin debt wiped clean? Was it paid for? Done? Andrew's word comes to mind. You know, the animal, the animal sacrifice here, and again, it's another foreshadowing, but it, doesn't, it didn't pay for Noah's sin. It didn't atone for his sin. Only, only the deliverer will fill, fully deal with Noah's sin debt and our sin debt. God goes on to explain what he meant when he said that he never again will wipe out all living things. Um, 9, 18 to 13. Genesis 9, 18 to 13. Or <laughs> 8 to 13. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will the floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will, all flood, will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds. And I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will I send well, will floodwaters waters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is a sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. The sons of Noah who came out of the boat with their father were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. There you have it. The creation of the rainbow. So a lot of times people would say that, you know, oh, how can God like, just invent the rainbow? Well, back up. Was the earth watered with clouds and rain prior to this? No. So yes, we know the science behind it, refraction of light and moisture in the sky creates a rainbow, but that wouldn't have been possible before because the earth wasn't, um, didn't, wasn't watered from above. It was watered from below. Um, so... God uses the rainbow as a sign of his covenant, the true promise to never send a worldwide flood. He promised it not only for humanity, but all animals. He made a point of mentioning that. I don't know why, but he did. Look at the years that have gone by. Here's the flood back here, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Where are we? Somewhere is like, you know, 2020 up here now. Has there been a worldwide flood since? We know there's all, yeah, there's tsunamis and local floods, of course, but there's never been a worldwide flood again. Is God trustworthy and faithful? Yeah. Every time we see the rainbow, we can stand in awe of God's trustworthiness and his faithfulness. Throughout God's word, we see it again and again, and we're only partway through the Old Testament. We can see God sovereignly orchestrating all events all events in history, and through these events, he draws pictures. I mean, we looked at the ark and the one door, and it didn't have a sail or a rudder, and um, God dried up the, the rains when he needed to. God sovereignly orchestrated through all these events all of who he was, and it was pointing to so much more, and we can look back on that. God determined it was, it was worthwhile for us to know every word that we've read tonight in the Word, in the Bible. You know, not just that it was man, but it was every animal, bird, scurried along the ground. Like, that, that was God penning these truths. And it was all, all of what we're reading tonight was to point forward to the truth of the promised deliverer to come.
in this way. Yeah. It also alludes to the fact that the earth could be destroyed again. What will happen as far as in times? And obviously, we're not there yet within scripture, but it's just that idea of like this specific way I will not destroy the earth again. Yeah. And it's just kind of that idea of I am pointing you towards something greater, something else to come. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. I mean, the ark, the ark was a physical deliverer in this story, uh, in this piece of history, but it's pointing towards an eternal deliverer that in this part of the history we hadn't got to yet. Yeah, exactly. Um, so as we look at the ark as a picture, illustration of the deliverer, we can see a few parallels here that both were revealed by God by his grace, through his grace. Both the ark and the coming deliverer, have only, there's only one way to get in. The ark had one door, and the deliverer, it, it's opened all in one way, God's way by faith. Both are entered through actions of repentance and faith, and again, I'm not, I, don't, I always like hesitate every time I mention the word repentance. It's not this like, well, I've, I've said a repentant thing, but it, it is a true heart posture. You believe it. You believe it wholeheartedly. God's way is by faith, genuine sincerity. And it's not having faith in how genuine and sincere you are. It's totally in the one who holds all the power to rescue and save. Both the ark and the deliverer require that those who enter to abandon one's own way and to look to God to rescue them both now, immediately, and forever. So those in the ark, or just before the ark there, they are to be rescued now and forever should they get on the ark. So our final contrast point for tonight, um, how do people not see God as trustworthy or reliable? I mean, we've been seeing here, he, he made this flood, he said he would, the flood came, he said he would never do a flood again to the worldwide extent, and he never has. So we can see that God's word is showing us how trustworthy and how dependable and reliable he is. But what do people use to push against that today? What? Yeah. Talk to me. <laughs> well, it never happened. Never happened? Never the flood never happened. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody else? Um, I don't know if I exactly know the question. The question but How do people not see God as trustworthy? Yeah, okay. I would say like open theology, like actually God doesn't know what's gonna happen. Okay. He reacts to history. Okay, God's reactive. Limited really. Circumstantial. Circumstantial. Yeah. They doubt the Bible, they doubt God. Again, it comes back. If you, don't, if you don't believe in the authority of Scripture, you don't got a foot to stand on. It's important to establish that. People choose to come up with their own answers about the flood. I mean, people, archaeologists, have explained different, different theories. But again, the, the, the atheists, are, they, don't, they want to find their own answers. They want to come up with their own uh, ways to explain difficult biblical accounts. You know, they, they think God can't be that big, that, they, that he couldn't possibly do something like this. 
Where, like, if you, if you were talking about the cartoon kind of version of the story, well, the cartoon version of the story has nothing about judgment at all in it. It's all a story of rescue without yeah. judgment for anyone. Yeah. And even such an extent, they don't even really know the rescue. It's just a boat on water. There's just no rescue at all in yeah. the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, every one of these, as you guys look to them and think of them in your mind, you should always see why God is the hero and, and why mankind didn't even deserve what happened in the sense of the good that happened. I mean, here people deserve the, the, what, the punishment, but they didn't deserve an opportunity to, to be rescued. You know, Cain didn't deserve a second chance. Um, Adam and Eve didn't deserve a second chance. God approached Cain. If you do what is right, you know, all these things. Anybody else have things they want to throw up there? Well, I, I think, uh, personally, people's limited view of Scripture and, well, let's say, okay, they've heard that God, that you should pray, and they pray, and they don't, what they hope for doesn't happen. And so they might go out, I tried it, and it just didn't work for me. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and I think sometimes it's reflective of you know maybe hearing one small aspect of God's word, but not really taking the time to really dig into God's word and try to see the big picture of what God's word teaches from beginning to end. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, the Gideon method. Of, I'm gonna throw this out on the ground. If it's wet and the ground is dry, then, yeah. then we'll be okay. <laughs> just kidding. I'm going to do it again. Let's do the other way. <laughs> and then people just, uh, it's almost as if people have to keep going until God doesn't answer or won't answer. And so they, and they use that as their excuses or else. It's like, well, see, he can't be real because this didn't happen. Hmm. And so for some, it's like maybe never, nothing ever happened according to them, but it's like they're not looking at what God has done. Yeah. Yeah, they use the wrong thing as the litmus test or the fleece. Yeah. And it goes back to the idea of this, uh, Satan blinding. The yeah. The idea of that we're, we're blinded in our, in our sin and the lies that we believe and the deceitfulness. That's right. Yeah. Further proof. So in summary of, of, of our hook tonight, that God rescues and God judges, what are, what are some maybe some additional foundational Bible truths that you guys are seeing in this lesson? Um, We've touched on a lot of God's love, His graciousness, mercy, holiness, um, judgment, promises. promises, yeah, provider, provider of a way of rescue, purpose, order, purpose, order. He had a plan. He deals with sin. Sin doesn't just go on and on and on forever. Attention to detail, even just simply building the boat. Yeah, God of detail, order. What he says will happen. He's trustworthy. We, we learned something new tonight and even a new word we've just touched on. He, God is a covenant-making God. And we'll, we'll unpack that a little bit later. But he's a, he made a promise, his covenant with, with Noah, that not to do this again. We saw again that God is all-powerful over all things, creation. He's the ultimate owner ruler. He didn't have to consult with anybody. He's just. He's, he wasn't unfair. Sinful people deserve punishment. We, we are sinful people, not just them. We too are sinful people. God is just in judging. And what God, what God says 
He will do. He's reliable, dependable, dependable, truthful, faithful. So as we conclude, we've now seen that Noah and his immediate family put their trust in God's rescue plan. They built an ark. More than the physical rescuing that they received, they, their obedience and faith in God showed that their hearts, in their hearts they trusted God and his plan, not their own plan, which meant they walked with God in humility and repentance, saying, everything I know God is found in you. I look to you to teach me, lead me, guide me. They believed it. They had faith in the Deliverer to come. And Noah was confident in, in all that God had warned him. He walked obediently. He built the ark. He got on the ark. Oh, there's Rainbow. He's <laughs> somebody back there, like holding the iPad and like tracking with me. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so, can we be confident in God's rescue plan for us today? Very secure, you guys. Because who's the one that closes the door? Me? You? Who? Yeah, the Lord, owner, boss, God, God Almighty. The one who is faithful, who's revealed the plan to us. We have the word, it's right here. His mouthpiece in our language. Okay, question. Who can read this? Can, anybody read, can anyone read that? Okay, can I, can I have three people, one for each question, to tell me, to kind of unpack how this dismantles, or, or the truth tonight dismantles this, these lies? So... One person for what ways do we try to rescue ourselves? Convince there's no need of rescue. I mean, we have all the answers, or not answers, but some of the reasons here. Can someone come up and tell me the truth that was learned tonight that deals with this? And then the next one and the next one. You want to do the first one? Okay. All right. Um, do I have to come up here? I'm here. Um, Self-help. Um, that we can't rescue ourselves, we're sinners. Uh, God has a way, um, and uh, <coughs> His way is the only way. Um, answers within ourselves. We know we have a sin nature, sinful nature, um, and that we are created beings. We don't know everything, and so um, answers aren't inside of us. Um, self-actualization uh, God made us for a purpose um, with commands of how to live uh, and um, we can't really create ourselves like God can um, believe in you or your oh, team believe in yourself, the same thing um, you could believe in the creator of the universe or you could believe in yourself. Um, oh, God's only love gracious. Well, he is love. Uh, we know that he's just and holy, and uh, because of that, we'll not tolerate um, sin. And um, circumstances. Uh, well, God's sovereign over your 
your uh, circumstances and he still required everyone to repent and believe so you're not off the hook are you and then uh, rituals and traditions um, that's sort of you know your own way to try and fix your your plight and um, they do nothing for you and busyness um, doesn't matter how much you distract yourself, you're still going to die. <laughs> God still promised the coming judgment, and you still need a Savior. All right, what are you going to do with that paper? Are you going to keep it there? Oh, no. <laughs> <waiting> for this. <laughs> just one, just one, just one. Okay. Go up. It'll I, work I deserve, better. Up after all that laughing at you, <laughs> I deserve whatever happens here. All right, bring it. Okay. Well, you got, you're a little close. Kidding. Oh, I, I'm just teasing, just teasing. No, 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 come here, come here. <laughs> now that'll be your excuse. You gotta come forward. Oh! <laughs> All right, you, you had lots of time to think about who wants to step up for this one. He took the long one. There's two left. We'll start with this one because that'll be easy to rip off first. What, what are lies today that, that say God is not trustworthy, He's not faithful, He's not reliable or dependable? Those are the lies. What are the truths that dismantle those lies? People hold them as truths. We're identifying them as lies. So what, what truths tonight dismantle these false truths? The idea of God not being trustworthy and like, well, the flood never happened is we're, we're shown time and time again. Uh, through scripture that the stories that are in there are not just stories and that they have um, been proven and even if they're not proven archaeological or, or shown in our science today it's this idea that you know what we can trust the God that we, that we follow and the idea of everything that he has said will happen has happened um, if not always in our timing or how we expect um, but when we look back on, on what his word was it's exactly as what he said and so we have um it's not a God constantly changing. It's not a circumstantial thing. It's like, oh, as the condition changes, he'll change his mind and what he's going to do. It's no, he knows the entire situation. And he knows it before it happens. And he's well aware of it. And um, so, therefore, he won't change his opinion because he already knew about it. In, in, in yeah, and, and in the story, we see that he asked him to build an ark before he sent the flood. So God wasn't reactive. Yeah. God, God. He was provisional. Yeah. And so... Didn't work. Tried and it didn't work. Tried and didn't work. Um, just the idea of trying... Uh, who put that one up there? Come on. The idea of people looking at one maybe very small segment of what's talked about in the Bible, like prayer. Oh, maybe you should pray. That's right. And so they pray, but God didn't answer. Prayer them. didn't work, so therefore yeah. God isn't trustworthy. Yeah. So they say, well, okay. I tried the Christian thing. So just focusing on a small part of it instead of sticking through and looking at the bigger picture, I think. That's kind of the wrong direction. It's just about me. I'm asking God to help. Mm-hmm. He's not giving us opportunities. Yeah. What do you do with those truths? Those false truths. That, yeah, exactly. But the reason I'm calling them false truths just there, I don't know why, maybe I should have all along, but it's people think they're truth, right? 
but we're identifying them as lies. There's not enough weight in this. Uh-oh. <laughs> That's my excuse. This is making me feel pretty good. <laughs> Tony still got it. <laughs> um, okay, last one. How do people ignore warnings of judgment? We've got God's word, but people continue. Um, th- these are distractions. So come up and, and speak to it as best as you can, tying it back to the story. Will I eat another grape? I can wait a long time. <laughs> Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> so for um tea watching just it is so easy just to drown everything else instead of facing facts. You just ignore the reality of what's coming. Um yeah, not facing up to it. And that kind of ties into Satan's lines too on how it's obvious. historically throughout scripture but people are totally blinded to that they just they can't see it if the evidence is there um i guess maybe the total denial would be the more on them ignoring it just kind of in the new testament they talk like in the time of Noah, people were eating and drinking right up until the time of the flood they even if there was this man building a boat saying this is coming <coughs> they did totally deny that this was gonna come and then it just happened like that. <coughs> and then the whole humans will fix the, the problems. problems just well failing to recognize that we as people are limited. We have our sin nature and then recognizing too just of humanity taking these courses and then failing and then also um, seeing too that in God's word that you know what he says is going to happen no matter what a person tries to do about it awesome thanks Brett destroy it All right, this last one's going to be a success. I feel it. I feel it in my bones. <laughs> oh, close. Close. All right. Well, we're all failures together. Thank the Lord for... It's right. It's right. We all fall short of the basket of recycling. So tonight we saw that God rescues, God judges. He provides the way, both in Noah's time and in our time. Remember, don't don't disconnect ourselves from that history. This is us too. God deals with all sin, their sin, our sin. God is trustworthy then and today. Um, We we saw it through the whole story. We push against the lies uh, with the truth. Um, Anytime you're teaching God's word, hear this well. 
this exercise that we continue to do over and over again sometimes it seems mickey mouse and sometimes you're thinking more about like those outer concentric circles of people in your life but as you bring it in and ask the lord to reveal lies maybe that you've um, been deceived into believing um, it can you can buy into these lies very easily if you don't let god's word dismantle another worldview that isn't biblical and so anytime you're sharing god's word and and teaching, discipling, what have you. If you can't learn another person's worldview or the angle that they're coming from or use the scriptures to reveal it, then you're going to create a person who has two viable worldviews, in their opinion. And so this exercise, the whole intent again and again is to dismantle um, another viable, in quotations, worldview. If you're left with two standing worldviews, a Christian one and these lies, a set of lies by which you can interpret the world, when the going gets tough, you can just go back to the other viable system. Do you get what I'm saying? It's so critical wherever we go, whether it's Guatemala or, you know, Pelly Crossing or something like that, that we, we use God's word to get inside the, the thinker in, into the people's heart. Otherwise, you get, yeah, they said you get syncretism. And at our hearts, we are animists and animists can have opposing truths existing at the same time in direct opposition God's word and a lie, and they can coexist because that's what our sinful nature is good at doing. Um, and that's what the, the, the enemy, God's enemy, wants to do, is to deceive us, uh, to destroy us. But God wants us to have abundant life, as it says in John 10.10. 10. And um, one other thing I, I, I heard put so well this last week that I want to share with you guys too. Um, yes, this is teaching, and, and there's knowledge being passed here. Um, but again, I just want to continue to press in with you guys to press in with God as to where you're going to take this. What are you going to do with this, with this knowledge? Um, we're not called to be knowledge gluttons. Um, we're, taught, we're, we're taught to make disciples. And, um, and, and, and a picture that I was given this last uh, week that I thought was so perfect is if you kind of have a, a, an image in mind of sort of concentric circles, you know, here you are in the center and your first circle around you is like, you know, your, your family, either your spouse, your kids, um, those are the ones that make, those are the ones that I believe God wants us to disciple first and foremost. Around that, you'd have someone like your, maybe your co-workers, you're seeing them like, you know, five days a week, and you know, friends are close, but you're not seeing them as often. Maybe, uh, whatever, this isn't uh, gospel truth here. But this idea of you, our lives are, are made up in relationship of concentric circles of people we see every day, regularly, a little less regularly, once in a while and hardly ever. And all too often we love, I don't know why, but we seem to love to kind of hop over these first few circles and go to, you know, this a stranger on the street, which I'm not saying is wrong, but sometimes that's our default is just to go there and skip the obvious. Just let's remember that our, our starting point is our wife, our husband, our kids, our neighbors, our co-workers, with this message of, of truth, of abundant life. Um, just something to think about and ponder as we go forward um, as Christian witnesses in our community. Let's close in prayer and that'll be a wrap. God, thank you for the power of your word, that you are the living word. Thank you that you revealed tonight through the, the history story of, of Noah and the ark that you rescue, you provide one means of rescue and you indeed will judge. Your holiness demands it. And God, you are totally just in doing it. We are um, born sinners uh, through Adam and Eve. 
we need your help in everything. We need your help to rescue us. Uh, we need your help going forward. Lord, we depend on you for every breath, every day. You rise the sun by your power. Uh, Lord, we have nothing to do with that. We just depend on you in every area. Thank you, God, that you are a good, good God, that you love us, that you are gracious and merciful. God, continue to just give us ideas to what you have around us for spreading your word faithfully in this, in this community, in this city, in this territory, and beyond, God. And we look to you for the increase. In Jesus' name, amen.